Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. My name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you um, today. If you've got a Bible, can you go to Colossians chapter 1? We will get there in due course. I hope you had a good time over uh, the summer kind of period. Enjoyed the beautiful weather that we've had, which was, um, what's the word, unusual <laughs> for England, but it was fantastic to enjoy. We had some time away. We saw some friends. We saw some family. We had time away um, on our own as a little family, and it was a fantastic time, but I'm back. We're ready to go into a new term and wind down uh, 2022. And what I want to look at today is, this is my custom at the beginning of each kind of term, is to just take a little bit of a stock of where we are and look to the future. And as Real Life Church today, what I want to look at is the next 10 years um, of where we are going as a church. We officially began the church in January 2011, and so we've kind of covered our first 10 years as a church, and during that period we were laying foundations, we were establishing a culture and the Lord has been gracious and good to us. We've seen uh, numerical growth. We've seen people being saved. We've seen people being healed. We've seen people being set free um, from life-controlling issues. We've seen people baptized. We have grown a kids and a youth work from one child to what you see um, today. There are so many stories for what, of what God has done through us about us being good to our community, serving the poor, serving the needy, and just hopefully bringing the love and the good news of Jesus to this town and this city. And then after that kind of first 10 years, we had the COVID season. Remember that? There was, yeah, yeah, I remember that, which was a time of enormous pressure for everyone. No one saw it coming. Everyone was affected. We just kind of all got hit by that in one big kind of bat that came out and sort of wrecked everything we were doing. As a church, we had to go online, which was far from ideal. We couldn't meet here. We couldn't meet together. We had to all avoid each other so we didn't pass on this dreadful virus. And um, I want to say thank you to everyone who stuck with us through that time. It wasn't great being on screens, but it was the best we could do with what we had. And God was still gracious and good to us through that. We even celebrated our 10th birthday online, which was something we had never envisaged ever, and if you'd even said to us, when you get to your 10th birthday, you're going to have to do it in your home, on your own, looking at everyone on a computer screen, I would have said, you are crazy. And then it happened. And you're like, oh Lord, oh well, let's keep going. So we had our 10th birthday, and then we have been back here in the girls' school for a year. Can you believe that? We've been doing a year back in here and getting it going. And so what I want to look at now is the next 10 years, and I've been asking the Lord, over the past few months, it's like, what's next for us, God? Well, we've done 10 years, COVID kind of, uh, what's the next 10 years? Where are we going? And the answer I feel the Lord has kind of given to us is it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. And the image to help understand this is the image of a child. If you've ever been around children, nieces, nephews, children, grandchildren, or remember your own growing up, the first 10 years of a child's life Everything's new. They're learning about everything. Um, they're, they're trying to get into everything. Uh, a personality emerges. You're kind of learning about how to do stuff. Uh, values are installed. Ways of behaving are installed. We're trying to interact, to interact with others. 
It requires lots of energy, lots of activity. If you've ever been around small children, they can be exhausting in a good way. And that's what it's like in the first 10 years. You're trying to get things going, get things moving. But then if you think about the second 10 years of your life, of a child's life, what happens there? There it actually starts to get a bit more scary because the big shift is that children usually start go from small school to big school, secondary school, and they get involved in all that. They have to take responsibility more for themselves and what they do. There is a maturing. They get um, access to technology, and especially nowadays with the amount of technology, and they've got to learn how to use it. They have greater freedom and independence. They have to take responsibility for their own learning, doing homework and the like, preparing for exams. You might get a, give them a key for the front door. They learn to drive. <laughs> they even get to vote, and they may even lose, leave home. So all that happens in the kind of next 10 years of a child's life. It's all growing up, um, and that's what they've got to do. And I feel for the Lord, what we need to do as a church over the next phase is to take those next 10 years and learn to grow up to mature as a people, that's the next phase of our development. We've done the kind of early years, church plant growing, exciting new. It's now time to grow up, take some responsibility. And this is something we need to do as a church corporate, together as a body, but also as individuals in our own lives. How are we going to grow up in God and mature in God? And as we get ready for this next 10 years and look to the future and what's going to happen, I want to take us back to our purpose as a church, which... We tell you every Sunday, and I mention regularly to you, and it's something that we put together um, uh, as we began the church back in 2010, when we were getting ready to launch at the beginning of 2011. And our purpose statement says this. This is our unchanging thing that divides us as a people. It says, we believe real life is about having a relationship with Jesus, following the model of Jesus, and then changing our world with Jesus. Simply put, it's all about Jesus. We are here as a people, as a church, is to do everything we can to get to know Jesus and do everything we can to help others get to know Jesus. And as a result of that, we will become more and more like him. We will follow his ways. We will learn about him. We will be conformed slowly to his image. And then through that, we will change the little world that we walk in places where we find ourselves, our homes and our workplaces and our families and our friends and our social kind of groupings and networks. And as we go forward into the next 10 years, I want to make sure that we are staying true to our purpose as a church, that we are all about Jesus as a corporate group, but also as individuals within the body. And at the beginning of July, so it's a couple of months, it feels a lifetime ago, but two months ago, um, the senior, senior leadership team of the church we took a day away, and we went to a retreat center somewhere, I can't remember where, but it was a, a drive away, and we spent the day together, and we were talking and praying um, about the church and what's going to happen next in 10 years. What are we, we going to do? Where are we going? Well, how is this going to look like for us? And we used a question to help us kind of shape our discussion and sort of focus our minds on what we're doing. And the question we looked at on that day was simply this. Does it help us grow a relationship with Jesus? Does it, whatever we're talking about, help us grow a relationship with Jesus? We're all about Jesus in this church. We're all about making his name known, making his name great. We believe 
that we need to grow in that relationship. We want to help others grow in that relationship. We want people to get to know Jesus for themselves and do everything we can. And as we do that, God will grow us into a large, influential, reproducing church. We feel that's where the direction we've set, where we're going. And so what we did is we looked at the started looking at the church as a whole, all the things we do, everything we're about, and asked that question, does it help us grow a relationship with Jesus? And what that means for us as a church is three kind of possible outcomes. One, we could say, yes, what we're doing in this particular area, this particular thing is great. We're just going to keep doing it. That helps us grow a relationship with Jesus. So we can do it. We might even put more time and energy and resources into it to make it more effective or make it broader or whatever. We're going to do that. It could mean there are things we look at and think, do you know what? It's not quite hitting the mark. We need to tweak it. We need to adjust it. We need to change it. We need to bring it back in line. It's kind of gone off kilter. So we have to tweak it and adjust it. And the third thing, it could mean stuff we might need to scale back or even stop because actually it's not helping us what, do what we are called here to do to our purpose. And what we want to do is make everyone an opportunity to grow um, in their relationship with Jesus. And it's also a question we need to ask as individuals. We need to take personal responsibility in our growing up and ask it of our own lives and everything that's happening in our lives. Actually, does it help me grow a relationship with Jesus? So we start looking at our own lives. We look at what we do, and what you'll do is you'll find your things. You might look at areas of your life and think, actually, that is brilliant. That is spot on. That's helped me. I need to keep going with that. I need to make effort in that. I need to put my time, my focus on that. Yeah, I keep doing that. Other things, we'll look back and you think, actually, maybe it's, it's, gone, off, it's gone off slightly. I need to bring it back. Maybe it was good at one point. It's gone off. I need to adjust it, and I need to look at it. And there are other things you're going to look at in your life and think, actually, this is getting in the way. This is a distraction. This is not helping me grow a relationship with Jesus, and I need to cut it. I need to stop it. I need to bring it right down. I need to shelve it. I need to do something with it. And this covers all areas of our lives, from your time, from your money, from your priorities, from your focus in everything you're doing. For us to grow up in God, grow up as followers of Jesus, we need to be ruthless about what's happening in our lives and where it fits with them. And this is a process. It's going to take time. That's why it's the next 10 years haven't got a full plan of all the things we're going to do now. We've started asking the question, and we've started looking at it. And it's what we're going to be working through over the next weeks, months, and years. And things that come up. Does it help us grow a relationship with Jesus? And so where we are right here, right now, we are in a season of kind of turmoil. I don't know if you've clocked the times and the culture that's happening around us. We've had COVID, which has kind of happened and sort of gone away in its broadest form lingering around but actually everything's moved on we came out of COVID thinking thank goodness that's over then what happens a war starts in Ukraine which is in uncomfortably close to home in Europe a war in Europe took the first time for however many 60 plus years you know it's like what are we doing what's happening and then that's then knocked on to the cost of living crisis have you cottoned on that that's happening and the news is it's only going to get worse they tell us, you're welcome. And I've read some articles on the news sites and they, they outlined how it's going to get worse week by week with energy rises and cost of living rises. And it's just this time of uncertainty. Everything that the world thought they could trust in and put their hope in has been shaken and been found wanting. And so as we begin this process of moving forward to the next 10 years, I want us to stop today and have a look at the one thing that cannot be shaken. 
which is the hope we have in Christ, which is the Lord Jesus Christ who is ruling and reigning over all things. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage in Colossians, which I've asked you to find. Next week, to continue, we're starting a new sermon series in the book of Mark. We're going to go through the whole gospel. And we're, next week, we're just going to look at the first verse. So you can get a little of a look ahead. And we'll find in the first verse that when Mark describes what his gospel's about, all 16 chapters of it, he comes right out the front and says, this gospel is, guess what? All about Jesus. And we've even called that, that's the sermon series title, All About Jesus. So that's what we're going to fly into next week. So if you want to get a little look ahead, start, grab your Bible, look at Mark's gospel this week. But we're going to look at Colossians today. And I want us to take a moment to put our eyes on Jesus and have a little think about him. So Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. I've actually got it. Oh, there it is. And I thought we would have a read together. Then that will disappear and you can follow along with your Bible. So that's the passage. Six verses, I think it is. It's good to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. So this is what we're going to do. So if you're all looking at that, I'll count us in one, two, three, and we are going to read God's Word together. It begins with a he's talking about Jesus, and I'll explain the context in just a minute. So one, two, three, go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay, well done. Now, this is a section from a letter. Um, written to the church in Colossae by the Apostle Paul. We've spent a bit of time with the Apostle Paul in our Here's a Live series a couple of months back. And he begins this letter and he's writing to the church in Colossae. And at the beginning of the letter, he, this section comes out as he tries to kind of put some words on the wonder that is Jesus. There's parts of it that um, scholars and um, theologians believe that actually is formed part of a hymn they may have sung. They're not conclusive on it but these might be words to a hymn that he's basically quoting back to them. You sing this, this is what it's all about. This is who it's all about. And it's talking about Jesus. And it says four things I just want to pick out about Jesus from here, just to remind us and focus on. The first thing it says about Jesus is that he is God. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 15. Jesus, because of the way we think about him, we often default to he's a man. Because that's kind of, when you think of the word Jesus, you think of the man you read about in the Gospels. And often people talk him about like that. They're happy that he's a good moral teacher. He's a guy who came and lived and died a couple of thousand years ago. Came to a bit of a sticky end. Oh, isn't that a shame? But he's just, he's just a man. But Paul makes very clear he is not just a man. 
He is more than that. He is both fully man and fully God. He said he is the image of the invisible God. What's that about? Well, if you go back into your Old Testament before Jesus came, we see God, but only you see glimpses of God. You see momentary bits where maybe one person saw a very kind of corner, a smidgen of God, and the glory of God that they saw through it kind of was overwhelming and blinding. Moses had an experience of God, but he says he only saw part of God. Elijah, we did that this time last year. He saw the back of God as he kind of went past, as he was hidden in the cliff. He couldn't see it all. We couldn't see God. God was the invisible God. He was beyond. He was transcendent. He was above mankind. And they knew God was there because he came and encountered his people, but they couldn't, they couldn't see it fully. And then Paul says, when Jesus came, he fully, totally represented God. If you look at Jesus, you see God. In the beginning of John's gospel, he said that. He said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he said, what happened? The Word came and dwelt amongst us came and lived amongst us. So Jesus is God. He's not just some person who spouted some great moral stuff, had some good ideas, went about doing good. He is God himself. Second person of the Trinity, God the Son, come to earth and dwelt among us, both fully man and fully God. And then he said he is the firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? Well, firstborn doesn't mean he was created. It means he carries the rights of a firstborn son, which is all authority, the heir, the inheritor of everything. Jesus is the one who is over all things, over all creation. He is the sovereign Lord and King. There is no one beyond him. There is no one above him. He is the highest and total authority over everything, which would go with the status of being God. So that's who Jesus was. So he was God. But the second thing it says there, he is the creator Verse 16, it says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things, underline all, were created through him and for him. So not only is Jesus Lord over everything, as the sovereign ruler, as God, he is the one who created everything. And just to be sure... Paul makes, he puts in there, he says, visible and invisible. He created everything. Everything you can see plus everything you can't see. And so that would cover the created realm because we can see a lot of things that have been created, but there's plenty of things we can't see. If you get microscopes, you go down deep, 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 and they can look at cells and the makeup of cells and go right down and they see all these great things. Jesus created them, but then you can blow it up the other way. We can go bigger and bigger and bigger and further and further and further away, and we just can't see it because it's just lost in the depths of space. And we need these great telescopes that cost billions to go up and just look and say, oh yeah, he made that too. <laughs> he made that too. He made everything, but not just the visible and the invisible in the created sense, but also in the spiritual sense. The unseen spiritual world that is around us Jesus also created that. He says, whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, what's that talking about? Well, the, the general consensus is they refer to some sort of hierarchy in the spiritual realm. You have thrones and you have dominions and you have rulers and you have authorities, whether that's sort of some cascading hierarchy. We're not sure, but it's, the point is Paul is making everything, even the unseen spiritual realm that occasionally breaks in. We see, we read in our Bible, we have moments 
There's demonic, there's angels, there's all these things happening. Jesus made all that too. He is over all that. Everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. And one of the things we find ourselves as, as humans, it's one of the first words my kids learn is in direct opposition to that. One of the first words my kids learnt, as well as daddy, was mine. Mine. It's mine. Anything. Everything. It's like, no, it's not yours. Mine. And they would grab it. And you see kids, well, and then the kids just get bigger. And guess what? Adults will say, that's mine. I earned that. I did that. I achieved that. No, you didn't. Jesus created everything. And even the strength and the ability you have to do anything is all from him. He is the creator of everything. There is nothing in all creation that Jesus can't say, mine. He is over it all. He is the creator of everything, which leads us to the next bit, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, which means he is the sustainer as well. He didn't just make it, create it, speak it into existence. He holds it together. He holds it together. So he was present at creation, spoke the word, came into, spoke the word and everything came into existence, but he also now holds it together. As the decades, as the millennia roll down, Jesus is the one holding everything together. Whether it's stars and planets, tides and oceans, clouds and rains, cells multiplying in our body, the breath that's going in and out of your lungs, the synapses that are firing in your brain to take on board this awesome sermon. All of it, Jesus is making happen. He is sustaining. If he chose to remove his hand from creation, it would cease to exist in an instant because he is sustaining all things. He is holding all things together. And so when we sometimes look around us and things seem seemingly out of control, what's happening? We can take heart that Jesus is holding it all. He is sustaining it. He is God, preeminent, above everything. He is the creator, so he created all this substance that we have. But he is also holding it together. He is holding his hands to make sure it keeps ticking over. It keeps working. It keeps moving forward. There is nothing outside of his control. Nothing that he cannot call under his command, under his authority. And the fourth and the final thing out of this, it says he is a saviour. Verse 18, it says, And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, Paul, interestingly, he starts with the church here. He says he's the head of the body of the church. He describes him as the head. What's the head? Well, the imagery there, the head is the one that um, has authority. Think about your head. That has authority over your body. That's the one that tells everything else what to do, to move it and make it. It's also organically linked. That's the interesting thing about a head. You can't separate your head from your body. Well, you could, but it would, that would be it. It would end there. So, so your head needs to be attached to your body for you to do things. So Jesus is organically linked to his church. So he's over everything. He's the one driving it, commanding it, but he is completely linked with it. He is the one who, he, Jesus identifies completely and totally with his people to the point when we find in Acts chapter 9 that Melanie spoke about at Easter 
when we find a Saul who later becomes the Apostle Paul. He was a violent, vicious man going around trying to kill Christians. He meets the risen Lord Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not the church. Paul had a legitimate claim to say, uh, excuse me, point of order, Lord of creation. I'm not persecuting you. I'm just killing a few of these annoying Christians. But Jesus says, no, you're persecuting me. So when you go after my followers, my people, my church, you come after me. You come after me. So Jesus is the head of the church. And when we're going to talk about Jesus being the saviour, which is what we're doing now, it begins with his people. He saves people to be part of his church. So church is fundamental in what Paul's talking about. So when we talk about Jesus saving people and salvation, isn't that good? We need to see people come to know Jesus. It's so they become part of the church. There's no other plan. We're to be connected to the church. Jesus is connected as the head. He is the one over the church. And so when people become Christians, they need to be part of the church. And we have the church universal, which is kind of the worldwide church of all Christians from all time who've ever come to know Jesus. And then we have the church local, with individual congregations, as we see in the New Testament. And Jesus, said, Jesus is saving people to be part of the church. And he is vitally and totally connected with his people. And that's what we're to be a part of too. And it says, so he's the head of the body of the church. He's beginning the firstborn of the dead. That's a reference to his resurrection, which we'll be coming uh, onto. And in that he might be preeminent. We've seen that in that he is God and creator of all sins. So he said, so the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. That going back to he is the image of the invisible God, he is fully man, he is fully God, and that through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven. What's that about? Well, what's reconciliation? Reconciliation is to bring together two parties who've been at opposition. If you reconcile with someone, there's been some sort of break, some sort of barrier, some sort of relational breakdown that you need to overcome and to bring together. What happens? What, what is Christ doing? What is he reconciling? Well, it comes back to the heart of the gospel, which is the problem of human sin, human rebellion against God, who denies God. We don't need God. We don't want anything to do with you. We are opposed to you in every possible way. Jesus comes as a man, dwells amongst us. He then dies in our place on the cross for our sin. He didn't need to die for his because he was fully God. He was perfect. But he needs to die for the punishment for ours because we are all guilty. We stand under a holy God and bear his wrath for the things that we've done. And we all know this because we all know the things we've done wrong. And we're all aware that when things are done wrong, the guilty need to be punished. The problem is we're the guilty. But Jesus comes, he takes the punishment uh, that we deserve. And as a result of that, peace, reconciliation can come between man and God. God and man are reconciled through Christ and his death on the cross. Jesus then rises from death to kind of vindicate what happened on the cross. He ascends into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit to the church. And the day is waiting when he will reconcile all of creation. Because there are individual lives of men and women who've been transformed, brought into his body of the church. But one day the whole of creation will be caught up. And if you're interested in that, go and look at a sneak peek at the end. Revelation 21. Read about what that looks like when the whole of creation comes together under Jesus. And what we find is he is the all-sufficient saviour. His death on the cross is enough to save anyone. It's enough to save anyone who turns and puts their trust in him. 
you don't know Jesus here today, you need to repent of your sin and you need to turn and put your trust in him. But not only that, his, his death on the cross is so great, he will actually save all of creation. Everything he's created, which has been corrupted and messed up by our rebellion, that too one day will be brought together and reconciled. And then it says there will be peace between man and God. Peace uh, in, the, in the Jewish kind of thought went into the early church is this wholeness, that shalom, that there'll be peace between man and God. And if you live at peace with someone, it is a beautiful thing. Have you ever had to work with someone, live with someone where there is a fractious relationship, where things are out of kilter and not right? It can be horrible. It can be soul-destroying. It can be like, oh, this is just the worst. You can seep into every area of your life. But with us and God, those who come through Christ, there will be peace. And we can enjoy that now because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And as we become Christians and repent of our sin, we then become part of God's people, the church of which Christ is the head, the one who is ruling over all things. So just to summarize what we've talked about there, this, it's all about Jesus. Everything is all about Jesus, not just our little local church congregation. Everything is all about Jesus because he is God. He is the ruler and authority over everything. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. And he is the savior who brings peace and reconciliation with God's people to God himself. This is wonderful news. Amen? Amen. Let's look at a little bit of a response here. What are we going to do with this? How are we going to earth this in something? Well, first thing, if you're not a Christian here, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I just want to offer you the opportunity to come to know him for yourself. Love to talk to you about that. Love to pray with you, pray for you. Um, you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in him. If you want to know that, please come and grab me at the end. I would love to talk to you about that. If you're a Christian here, I would love you to take a moment to take this seriously in who Jesus is and let the truth of who he is press on you. I would love you to take this passage this week, maybe have a little look at it, have a little think about it, meditate on it. If you read it every day this week and just let something new jump out at you about who Jesus is and how wonderful he is. I'd love you to have a look at your life in light of that and just start reflecting now. And the great thing about this is the Holy Spirit's at work and he's wonderful and he's already way ahead of me. There's parts of your life he's been nudging and he's saying, does that help you grow a relationship with Jesus? And you know the answers. I'd love you to examine what you spend your time on doing, what you spend your money on, what you spend your focus on, what's in your calendar, your diary. Does what you're doing help you grow a relationship with Jesus? And if there are things that you need to adjust, and you know it even now, because God's kind of pushing you on those things. I'm going to give you a moment in a moment to get it right with God repent and say, no, I'm going to put that right. I'm going to change that. I'm going to adjust because it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up as an individual. It's time to grow up as a church. I want you to ask about your attitude towards God's people, the church, because that's what you've been saved into. And Jesus is the head of the body and he's organically linked. So you might think, well, I'm not like Paul. I wasn't going around killing Christians, but if I've got a poor attitude towards Christians, I'm effectively doing the same thing. I'm just not as far down the road. As Paul was. 
And so actually, are there attitudes that you need to change towards God's people and what he's doing? So I'd love you to have a little think about that, have a pray this week, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond right now. Final thing is on Tuesday, we've got Church of Prayer. Um, We're going to be doing it on Zoom for the last time. We've got some stuff we want to announce about going forward, about some of these questions, some things we want to put in place. So please come and do that. Spend some time with us in prayer. If Jesus truly is the sustainer of all things, then our first response should always be prayer because he's the one running everything. We need to talk to him about it. So come and join us on Tuesday with that. And now I'm going to lead you in a little bit of response. So do you want to stand up? Do you want the band to come back up, please? Get yourself ready. And I'm just going to give you a moment. You know, and I don't, what God's been poking you about this morning. You know that that what's going on in your life, that that God would like to have a word with you about. He would like to draw you back to himself. Even so there's some of you that even when I asked the question and just gave that kind of general question, does it help me grow a relationship with Jesus? You immediately thought, no, and this is what it is. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit convicts. And the reason he's done that is because he wants to draw you to himself, to get it dealt with and to repent and move on and to have peace with God. That's, that's what that's about. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. And then what we're going to do is we're all going to respond in worship because that's what we do when we see Jesus and we look at him. We just go, you're amazing again. And we praise his name and we lift it up. So do you maybe want to close your eyes, open your hands? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that you are the creator and sustainer of all things. We, Lord, we thank you that you are our all-sufficient saviour who can deal with all our sin, deal with all our shame, reconcile us to God, that we might have peace, that we might know you, that we might have a future that is secure, a hope that cannot be shaken. Lord, we thank you and praise you for that. We thank you that you've revealed that truth to us. We didn't earn that. We didn't work that out because we're smart. Your grace came and opened our eyes to see. And Lord, we stand here amazed again at how wonderful you are. And Lord God, we ask that you would come and bring forgiveness to us where we know we put things that are unhelpful in us getting to know you. If you know what they are, and you're doing, can you speak them out to God now? Just do it quietly. It's good to do it out loud, but just say it to God. Confess to God and ask for his forgiveness. Jesus, we want to say as your people right here, right now, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's not about me. It's not mine. I am not the center of the universe. I don't, doesn't, nothing runs to my say so. It's all about you. Lord, we lift up our eyes again across ab- above the mess and life, and we look to you as the one who is ruling over it all. And we say, God, you alone are worthy of our worship, you alone are worthy of our praise. We love you, we glorify you, we honor you. You are magnificent, you are glorious. And God's people said,